Hey guys, just a quick note before we jump into this week's episode of InStride. InStride is brought to you by RideIQ. RideIQ is a mobile app with hundreds of on-demand listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by eventing, jumper, and dressage coaches. In other words, with RideIQ, you can take a lesson from an incredible coach during any ride you'd like. No hauling and no scheduling. Whether you're looking to add structure to your rides or try new exercises or build confidence, RideIQ can help. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a two-week free trial. Try it for yourself today by downloading the RideIQ mobile app on iPhone or Android. On today's episode of InStride, Sinead talks to Hannah Klepp, an Australian under-25 four-star event rider. In addition to being an accomplished upper-level rider, Hannah is also an Equestrian Australia certified coach. In 2019, Hannah represented Australia at the Oceania Championships on a self-produced off-the-track thoroughbred, winning Team Gold. Hannah is on the National Eventing Youth Recognition Squad and has a few horses that she's bringing up the levels. In her conversation with Sinead, Hannah shares her journey to becoming a four-star event rider and discovering her love for coaching. We hope you enjoy this episode. Everyone, I'm really excited to be right now speaking to someone in the future and I would like to thank Hannah Klepp so much for waking up bright and early to chat with us here at uh, InStride. Tell us where you are right now, Hannah. Thank you for having me. I am located in Melbourne, Australia. My, I don't, I, I have never actually been to Australia and I am dying to go, but it's probably such a cliche. Like most people probably think of America and think of like guns and obesity. And I think of Australia and I think of like great white sharks. <laughs> well, I'm, I've been to America a couple times and I did really enjoy it, but we went over there obviously holidaying and went to all the theme parks in Disneyland. So when I picture America, I just think fun. <laughs> you picture Mickey Mouse. Now we've already gotten distracted. See, I knew this was going to happen. Well, tell us a little bit, because this is, I, I'm so excited to get to know you a little bit more. I mean, I've, I've kind of done some Google stalking, obviously. And, uh, and it looks like you've got a big coaching and clinicking operation and four-star eventer and all of the things that come included with all of that. But tell us a little bit about, yeah, what you've got going on. What's the day in the life of Hannah right now? Well, it's, it's sort of been changing a lot the past few years. I, well, I finished school and I went to Shane Rose's for a year and a half. I spoke with him at a comp just as I was finishing year 12 and he mentioned that Bimbanin Park, where he's based, is looking for another rider. So I sort of jumped at that opportunity and went up there for a trial. I rode 14 horses a day for four days and I couldn't sit down at the end of it because my body was just not used to working that hard, but I loved it. So I, I finished year 12 and ran up there. He's in Sydney and I grew up in Canberra, so it was three hours away. So I moved out of home as a fresh 18 year old and yeah, based myself up there with Shane, which was pretty much just like doing an apprenticeship. Like I just learned everything I needed to know. Then how, how did I get into coaching? Well, I went home, I went home or oh, mid 2019 and I started writing track work. Like I, 
I touched on uni. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try uni, but uni just wasn't for me. So I very much just followed my dreams, as you could say, and went, went a road track work so I could fund eventing. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. eventing is a crazy expensive sport, and I just didn't have the financial backing behind me. So I had to ride racehorses to make money. So, yeah, I rode racehorses oh, a long time now, but I finished up riding racehorses. This year, this year, no, last year, mm. what year, in 2020, I finished riding racehorses last year, but racehorses were just a massive part of what I did because in Canberra, I didn't have mm. enough work coaching. Mm-hmm. Sort of didn't really get into coaching that quickly either. Like I was like, okay, I want to be shame. Like I want to be a professional rider, but I sort of just never had great experiences riding client horses. Mm-hmm. Like I had uh, the couple that I was given to ride every now and then they were, to put it bluntly, they were awful. Like they would stop at jumps. They would stop <laughs> halfway round a cross country course and just slam on the brakes. And they were off the tracks that I just couldn't get soft. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not making me enjoy riding anymore. Like I just wanted mm-hmm. to ride my own nice horses. So that's when I started getting into coaching. And I, mm-hmm. I loved coaching, like straight away, I knew I wanted to coach. I just didn't have the work in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Like I was at, I was at a riding school that I learned to ride at actually. And they were a big influence. Like they taught me everything I needed to know about coaching and put me through the Equestrian Australia coaching certification system, which mm-hmm. helped me get qualified and get insurance and all those important things. But really when, when my coaching got serious is when I moved down here, down to Melbourne mid last year and mm-hmm. moving to Melbourne has just been the best thing for me because I have enough work now to not ride racehorses and not risk mm-hmm. breaking my neck at 4am in the morning every day. So yeah, I guess okay, yeah, 7 coaching when taken. You get on the event horses. Yeah. Yeah, I always got more hurt on event horses than racehorses. It was like well, the... funny you say that. My mom actually, she's okay with me eventing. Like she doesn't stress yeah. about me going out the start box for a four-star track, but she would lay there awake at 4 a.m. worrying about me on the racehorses. Yeah. <laughs> like she ended up having counseling sessions because she just couldn't cope with me riding track work, but she knew I had, that was my option to make yeah. money at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's funny. And it, and didn't, I thought I saw a interview or something with Shane where he still does a lot of racehorses. Is that true? Does he still do? Yeah. Horses? Yeah. And that's where I sort of got the, the racehorse bug because ugh, the first year I was there, 2018, Shane broke in 360 racehorses. That, see, that's and, what I thought I heard. And then I, I swear I went to repeat it and I thought, no, I must've heard that wrong. Yeah. That's insane. So that, yeah, it is insane. And like we started work at 6 a.m. and we would do breakers and pre-trainers. Pre-trainers is a racehorse that's getting fit to go to the track, sort of like the in-between stage of being broken in and going to be a racehorse at the main racetracks. Mm-hmm. Um, we would start work at 6 a.m. and we would work the racehorses till mid-afternoon or early afternoon. And then we'd get on the eventers and ride the eventers and we would work till dark. Like it was insane. It was six days a week and it was full on work. But when you love it, like you don't, you don't complain. Mm-hmm. You obviously you get tired and mm-hmm. you just keep going. And it was just, yeah, the best experience. Yeah. It, it seems like it's, uh, I, I, it's, it's depending on, I was going to ask you about that and because 
being in Australia, being a professional rider is anywhere, I think, in the world. It is a unique thing to be able to just be a rider. Most of the time, there's something else. Like, it sounds like you mm -hmm. move towards the coaching and you ride professionally as well. And it sounded like Shane does the racehorses and then owns his event, most of his event horses as well. Is that what mm -hmm. you kind of found in your experience and the people that you've kind of gone with is that there's, you kind of go down the avenue of training horses, racehorses, sales or coaching. Is that kind of your, what you've run into? Yeah. Like that sort of the trend in Australia, a lot of people are getting into the racehorses. It's such a wealthy industry, I guess. And there's so much work here for it in Australia. And even a couple of people do both. It's just, yeah, it's tricky. And I thought about getting into the racehorses at home, but on my own in Canberra and that it was too difficult and too dangerous to do on my own. I did sort of look into spelling where they just come and stay and you look after them. But really, that's not really what I want to do at the end of the day. That was just going to make me a quick dollar. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, once I sort of had a feel for coaching and helping people and building partnerships, I almost like that more than training someone's horse for them, mm -hmm. especially just because I had those bad experiences the first few times. Like people would send their off the track horse that was just absolutely nuttish and I would spend ages fixing it and then they would never pay me. And I was sort of like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, this is just not it. This is not it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, the the well, I think I know my husband and I talk about that a lot. I think most horse businesses are constantly evolving. You're always kind of doing a little of this, doing a little of that, seeing what sticks. But it is hard sometimes mm -hmm. in the horse training because you can do a lot with the horses, but if you send them back into the same situation, normally the same. If the person isn't coming in learning as well, like that kind of dynamic yeah. where you're working with the person and the horse together seems to be to have a higher success rate. And then it's a little bit more motivating to put the work in. Mm. Yeah. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't rewarding. And then I, mm -hmm. once I got into coaching, I was like, okay, wow, this is really rewarding. Like this is what I want to do. But I did find that when I stopped riding racehorses, I lost a lot of fitness and a lot of strength, which I didn't really think about at the time. Cause I was just so tired from getting up at 3.30 in the morning and going to ride 10 to 14 racehorses at the track and then going home to ride my own four mm -hmm. event horses and then coach one or two lessons at home. Like I was exhausted. So I was more than happy to give up the racehorses. But then I sort of had a few months off and started to miss it. And I was like, oh, I've actually lost a fair bit of fitness and strength, which is a shame. But now I've found fitness and strength by starting Pilates, which is even better for my mental health as well to go out and do stuff with other normal people and not just be on the back of a horse 24 seven. I think that's called balance. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's something that we never do. And even yeah. Sam, my partner, he's like, you need to get a hobby. You need to go and do something normal. And I'm kind of like, why, <laughs> why would I do that? But yeah, no, Pilates has been really good for me in that way. Well, and that, mm. that'll, that will only complement the riding. So can you talk a little bit about the coaching and the, the, I, I, about how that works as far as your certification and the schooling that goes into educating the coaching part of what you do. Because here in the States, there we do have a coaching certification system, but it's definitely not required. Like it's not it's yeah. a, like anybody can coach. How does that work over there? Well, it's a little bit blurry. Okay, let me think about this for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> they 
Okay, so I started at 16. I was working at a riding school across the road where I learned to ride at. And they were encouraging me to get the certification. Mm. And I was sort of like, oh, why would I want to do that? Like I was 16. I didn't actually know that I wanted to coach at the time. But at the riding school, I was teaching kids how to rise trot and how to hold the reins and sort of really basic riding education like that. And they would, the riding school would constantly have coach educators come and teach us and work through these coaching books as such, which is where I learned a lot of the basics. And I think one of the hardest things of like, I was 16 and about to go freestyle and I could not, it was really hard for me to explain to a kid how to put their leg on and use their rein and stuff that was just second nature to me already by that time. So the coach educators really helped me start to break things down and be able to explain things. But because I was so young, I could only do the first level, which was called introductory. So I slowly, very slowly worked through those books because you obviously have to pay a bit of money for it as well. And at 16, I just couldn't justify it. I had better things to spend my money on. But the writing school was really good because if they didn't give me that push, I would still be doing my books now and would be trying to get the qualification now. But as in Australia, it's not essential either, but well it is kind of essential to have insurance. Right. So I did my, I finished my introductory qualification and I actually didn't finish my level one qualification until I got down here in Victoria, because again, being in Canberra, we have one coach educator there and you need to be assessed and taught by two or three coach educators to get your qualification. So I've mm -hmm. got my level one qualification now and it kind of, it, it's good recognition as well. Like People want to know that you're qualified and educated and have the right insurance. Like nobody wants to hire you if you don't know what you're doing. And just having the qualification helps that. Like a lot of the adult riding clubs down here won't have you teach at their club unless you are qualified, which I, which is fair enough. Mm. Can you, can you, I just want to stop you for a second because mm. talk about this, the adult riding clubs, because that's not really something that we have here. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The adult riding clubs are, they're like little communities all around. And I actually hadn't really experienced much about it because there was only two in Canberra and down here in Melbourne where I am, there's an adult riding club per suburb. Like it's absolutely wow. insane. And they're, they're groups of sort of 30 to 40 people on average, and they get together once a month. Sometimes, mostly they're on a weekend. Some adult riders clubs are on a weekday and they get together and they get a coach in each rally. They call it a rally day. Each rally, they get a different coach in and have lessons all day. And then they sit around and have tea and scones. And it's kind of more of a social thing that we get to go and coach at. But they also, I guess the clubs are different. Some clubs are there to go to the Olympics and they want as much information out of you as they can get. Another Clubs are just there to have a cup of tea with you and get to know you and have a, have a quiet lesson. So it's nice being able to do that, especially like I have a regular club that I go and teach on a Wednesday, which is perfect for me because weekends, a lot of the time we're already booked teaching elsewhere or we're at, away at comps. Yeah, that's so cool. So, I, and are the people that are in those clubs, are they at different yards or are they all at the same farm that you go to? No, so they're all at the, most people around here have their own little property. Mm. 
and they all travel to one venue, which usually, yeah, in each suburb, it's amazing down here. In each suburb, there's like an arena and a and a public grounds that they all yeah. share and maintain. So yeah, it's we're very spoiled down here. Where in Canberra, we have sort of two or three main grounds, and mm-hmm. a lot of the time they were hard for me to book and get there yeah. and get enough people. So yeah, down here, I feel like I've I've moved to England and I'm just absolutely spoiled for choice. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, let's move, then let's circle back to you and your competitive side of things. Can you, it doesn't sound like you came from a real horsey background. Can you talk us into how you kind of got into the sport and we'll move up the, the ladder from there? Sure. So I, well, I was obsessed with horses from as young as I can remember. Although my parents were not horsey at all, no one in my family had anything to do with horses. So I'm actually not really sure where it came from. But after begging and begging, my parents bought me five riding school lessons for my eighth birthday. And I sort of just stuck in, I was in the riding school for a couple of years and mum and dad would drive me to the riding school once a week and a property for sale came up just across the road. We lived in a, in a house in town, like nothing to do with farms or anything anyway they saw this property and they jumped at the opportunity and bought this property when I was 10 years old nine or 10 years old which I guess just set set me off on my feet because then I was able to get my own pony and it was good because we were just across the riding across the road from the riding school so we still had the guidance of knowledgeable horsey people and the property we bought the own the previous owner he was a kind a natural horseman like he was really into the horsemanship and the horse whispering but he'd actually fallen ill unfortunately so he had to retire earlier than he had hoped mm-hmm. um, but he was he was a big influence in the first couple of years of my riding because he would come out to the property each day and help me with the horses and just taught me so much and still to this day I've never seen anyone connect with the horse like he's connected it was just like magic so yeah I'd do try and go and see him still. He's in a home now in Canberra and visiting him and telling him all about me now, I think just makes him so happy and excited, which is nice. <laughs> then from there, we, I went to, I joined the local pony club, which was very small, very small club, especially like coming down here now, I teach at a pony club that has 90 riders. My pony club back at home has 12 members. Wow. So it's yeah. just, it's really different down here. Anyways, uh, yeah. So I went to pony club. I had a pony that would buck me off, which was just awful. Mm. And so we, mum sent that pony away to be sold by a professional and bought me another pony who was super quiet, but was horse shy. So again, I didn't have a great time at pony club on him either. And we actually had a very lovely family at the pony club that leased me their schoolmaster and they were into eventing so I would tag along with them to events to volunteer and watch and I realize now how pivotal that was that time was in shaping my future because they introduced me to eventing and I just got the bug through them Mm -hmm. then we sort of found a more experienced horse an older horse that had a bit of an experience venting had experience eventing sorry and he was just awesome like he took me around all the events around New South Wales mum would drive me up to lessons to Sam Lyles because in Canberra we didn't have an eventing coach I had a show dump coach and then a dressage coach but no one to really 
guide me eventing wise. So we would drive two hours to Sam Lyles and he would give me lessons as often as I could get them. Like mom and dad were so awesome in making that a priority. And I guess like now I look back and I'm like, without those lessons, I would still be at pony clubs. Like mm-hmm. though, like just getting, oh, and it makes me more passionate about coaching because I realized how important lessons are and having a mentor and having someone guide you yeah, through eventing because it is such a challenging sport and confusing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Then where am I? So that horse, Bucky, he gave me all the opportunities of getting on the New South Wales state team and riding at my first nationals and also, what is that? Because I saw yeah. yeah something along those. So how what how does that work? As far as is that like a that's it's a state run, country run, young riders. How what is that system like? So we have what we call inter schools, okay, which obviously is for school students only, and you qualify locally. So you do a, a local inter schools comp, which then qualifies you to go to the state championships, which is yes, Mm. by state. So at that time I was living in New South Wales. So our state championships were in Sydney and Mm. you'd ride at the state championships in Sydney. And if you finished in the top three, you'd qualify for nationals and you'd have to then still apply for nationals and say why you want to be on the team and Mm -hmm. yeah, go through a selection process of getting on the New South Wales team. And then you would travel for the nationals. I think the first year I did the nationals. That was through your school or yeah. through, yeah, it was, for, so you had like an intercollegiate eventing team, basically. Yes. Although I was the only person from my school, the only person from Canberra <laughs> Why? to compete in the state. Oh, no, actually there was another Ooh. couple of people, but it was very, like, I think I was the only one that ended up going to the nationals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, very small in Canberra. So yeah, went to nationals, which was awesome. And then, yeah, he just got to a point, he kicked on till he was 24 competing. Oh, wow. And we sort of realized, okay, he's not going to jump bigger than a meter. We need to find something else. And mum and dad not having a huge budget, we took a while, but found this, found this off the track thoroughbred just down the road. And mum's like, oh, like it's a thoroughbred and it's raced and it's very big. But it was friends of ours. So we went and we went and had a look. He was literally two kilometers down the road. And I think the selling point for him was, yes, he was big and he was off the track, but he was a police horse. Like he had been sent to Sydney and he'd done a stint of six months in the police force in Sydney. So mum was like, okay, he's quiet. And back then they were so generous. I can't even imagine people doing it now, but they let us just have him for three months as like a trial, which was good because I was 14 at the time and he was nothing, nothing special. Like she'd evented him to... 95 just done a bit she was a track work rider herself and sort of just took them off the track did a bit of re-educating and then sold them on so I got him and again just lessons 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 I think I had two lessons a week like a dressage and a show dump and then where we could we would go up and cross-country school with Sam Lyle and other as many coaches as we could up sort of towards Sydney because there was cross-country courses up near Sydney and just clinics. And the more I got out, the more I learned. And I started that horse at 80 centimeters, slowly worked our way up. And he sort of just progressed quite quickly. I'm trying to think. He, again, did the state into schools, qualified for the nationals at 
two-star level. So we went up to Queensland. I was captain of the New South Wales team. And yeah, I think I just got the bug a bit there. I think that's where I got my real first taste at coaching because I was leading that group and then came home. I was in year 11 and I stepped up to three-star level, which looking back now, I'm like, that is insane. And we had to get permission because I was so young. We had to get permission to go three-star. So we actually had to write a letter to Equestrian Australia. And originally they said no. They said, no, we want you to consolidate more at two-star level or one-star level. And then we were sort of like, well, I had done 14 one-stars and some ridiculous amount of number of two-stars as well. So we kind of wrote back and were like, what do you mean consolidate? Like, how can you consolidate more than this? And then they said, okay, fair enough. We'll send this on to Shane Rose. And Shane Rose immediately came back and said, yep, she's good to go. But it was kind of a tricky time because right after that nationals and in between me going three-star, I had a friend die from eventing, Olivia Inglis. In 2016, she had a rotational fall up in an event in Scone and died at the scene, which was, yeah, kind of a, a huge time of my life. Like I was in high school and sort of really getting into the horse scene and then to have a teammate, Olivia, who was on the New South Wales team as well, die from an eventing accident kind of just made everyone step back, including myself to go, okay, what are we actually doing here? Like this sport is insane. So that was, yeah, that was hard. A lot of my friends gave up eventing, but I'd sort of just started to get going. Like I was ready to go three-star and I was like, okay, mum was like, are you happy to still do this sport? Like, if you really want to do it, we'll support you. But like, you're insane. <laughs> so I continued, I continued, but again, so many lessons and Sam Lyle just guided me through the whole process. And Sam was really good and he never let me step up the levels unless I was a hundred percent ready. Where are we now? Three-star. Oh yeah. And then that's when I went to Shane's and it was kind of good walking in there as a three-star rider. Not that I had any idea of what I was really doing. Like I look back now and think, okay, I, I completely fluked that. <laughs> like I was on and off the track thoroughbred and he just tried his absolute heart out for me. But yes, went to Shane's. That was awesome. Shane just took my riding to the next level. And then I went to Adelaide three-day, which is kind of the absolute highlight event in Australia where we have our five-star event, our one five-star mm -hmm. in Australia. I did the three-star long there and got a quite a good result that ended up putting me on an, a talent identification squad, which then opened up my opportunities even more because I was a part of this high-performance training squad where I then met Prue Barrett, mm -hmm. who is also on Ride IQ. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we had access to these amazing facilities in Sydney and a, a lovely venue called Wallaby Hill to train at. And yeah, with people like Prue's guidance and training and mentoring, which yeah, then helped me progress to four-star level. And to be honest, like I, COVID hit and that sort of stopped all eventing. Like I was sort of getting ready to go four-star, like in the back of my head thinking, okay, I've done... I think I did 18 three stars. Like this horse just kept going. Right. And I was sort of like, okay, I'm probably ready to go four star, but I wasn't, I wasn't itching to go four star. Like four star is hectic. Mm -hmm. And 
COVID hit and I have a really specky show dumping or he's a really specky horse, but he's a very good show dumper. I was like, oh, the eventing competitions weren't running, but the show dumping competitions were running. So I put him on my show dump coach's truck, Izzy, Isabella Stone. And I did the show dump circuit for a while in Australia and got to jump my first meter 40 track as a young rider and do the young riders series, which is just absolutely awesome experience for me on that horse. And I was like, oh yeah, this is really fun. And my horse is really good at it, but you have one rail and you're out. Like I was mm -hmm. like, okay, this is, this actually isn't that fun. I want to go back to eventing. So COVID had settled down by the end of 2020. And I took my older off the track thoroughbred reprieve to a another three-star long at Wallaby Hill and he won the young rider competition there and I was like okay all right this is what I want to do and then I think oh we had Christmas break and that and I went to Sam Lyles for a lesson early the next year and he was like oh what are you entered in at the next event and I said oh, I'm in the three-star like as normal he was like why why aren't you going four-star and I kind of just like sat there with my eyes wide open like are you kidding and he's like, Sam said to me, he said, so many students and riders come to him and say they want to go four star. And Sam thought, I'm one of the few that are actually capable of doing it. So I was like, okay, well that filled me with absolute confidence. And I entered my first four star at Sydney three day. I just did the short format, obviously, but I felt so out of place. Like you're trotting around the warm up with Stuart Tinney and Heath Ryan and Shane. And I'm like, the hell am I doing? Like, this is insane. I was, how old was I? 20, 21. And I, yeah, I was so nervous. I can't even remember being that nervous before. And he did an okay test. Like, he was fine. That's fine. And then the day of cross country, I wasn't on till the afternoon, which I find so even worse because you sit around all day going, okay, I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for this. And then they ran late. They ran two hours late. And I just remember oh, wow. sitting in the, sitting in the chair back at the float with my head in my hands, just thinking, what am I doing? Like, am I really ready for this? The track was insane. And Emma Bishop, a professional rider, walked past me earlier that day walking the course. And she was like, oh, you must be so excited. And the course was really tough. And she said to me, she said, oh, if you can get around this four star, you'll get around anything. And I was like, okay, that's not really what I wanted to hear. And then I got out on course, jumped the first six jumps very slowly. And I was like, okay, I need to get going. As I started to get going, they pulled me up and I was stopped on course for about 20 minutes. Natalie Blondell, one of the coaches near Canberra, just outside of Canberra, she'd had a, a mad stack at one of the first really tough combinations. And I actually, I don't even know how I coped, but I coped and they restarted me and I finished with a clear round, a very slow, but a very clear very clear, very <laughs> slow, but clear round. And yeah, he came out the next day and had a heap of rails. That's just who he is. But just completing my first four star, I was like, okay, tick. And then entered the next one and sort of just kept going at four star level. And obviously it gets easier the more you do it. But I found myself qualified to do a four star long. And I was like, nah, why would I do that? Like, I don't want to do a four star long. That's even more hectic than a four star short. Yeah. And my partner, Sam, he said, as if you wouldn't do it. He said, you've got, you're sitting on a great cross country horse. You've got the opportunity to do a four star long, just have a crack. I was like, okay, all right, I'll have a crack. And mom has always said to me, she was like, it's just natural progression. Like you put in the hours and 
training and lessons and it just naturally happens to move up the levels like that but I I started to find myself coping mentally like it was just too much I had a horse another horse at three star at the time and it was just too much for me so being on this identification squad and I actually reached out to the manager Will and I said I'm just not coping like I'm not really sure what to do what can you do for me and he hooked me up with Amanda Ross who's a well-renowned rider here in Australia and she I had a oh my god I must have been a two-hour phone call with her and just to talk about the mental side of things and she broke it all down for me and explained to me why I'm feeling these emotions and how to cope basically which was really beneficial leading into Melbourne because it was it was a lot and just before Melbourne I also had decided that I was going to retire reprieve like he was he was 14 and he was fit and he was sound but every comp he'd have rails down and he just didn't want to be a four-star horse like he was great cross-country but dressage he wouldn't do a flying change and he yeah would have consistently three to five rails down he was fit and he was sound and he was at the prime age I'd found the perfect home and at the end of the day it put some dollars in my pocket to help me then get the next horse I guess but yeah cruised around the four-star long clear slow but clear and yeah that was I think that's just been one of the highlights of of my career apart from that same horse took me overseas actually I missed that bit maybe we can crop it in no that's okay he while I was at Shane's the second year I was at Shane's they took two teams over to New Zealand for the Oceana championships and I was selected in the under 21 team at three-star level to compete for Australia in New Zealand, which was just the most amazing experience, especially while being at Shane's and preparing for that with Shane, who Shane was on the senior team. So we both got to prepare together and I had his guidance the whole way through that. And putting putting your horse on the plane is just something else. And mm-hmm. getting over to a different country and competing in a different country was just an awesome experience. And I think that sort of set my profile up a bit as well. Like after that experience, I got a few sponsors on board and started to make a name for myself as such. And yeah, that's awesome. Hi everyone. I wanted to take this opportunity to give you some inside information on what makes Tota Saddles different. This new Tota Freedom Jump Line, which we were lucky enough to help design is contoured away from the shoulder and the shoulder muscle, not only to allow new freedom of movement, but it encourages a more uphill balance and an and effortless comfort for the horse. The new balance puts the rider in harmony in a connected and powerful way. One more amazing perk of this saddle is that it has a metal tree, meaning you can fit it to any horse you have now and any horse that enters your barn in the future. At Copperline, we pride ourselves in a progressive horse first approach. And when we met Charlie and learned that his TOTA comfort system was founded on an understanding of the horse's biomechanics, maximizing performance, and the total comfort of the horse, we knew we had to work with this team. Please check out the Dressage Connection or follow the TOTA comfort system on Facebook or Instagram. If you want ad-free listening on the Instride, head over to Ride IQ where you can listen without interruption. And now back to the podcast. 
And so with all of those, I mean, after you had that experience and then you jumped around your four star long, then it kind of sets you up to decide where you're, what's next, what we're doing. You've got a resume there from a competitive side that enhances the coach's resume. It also, you've obviously done the racehorses, done the coaching, done the eventing. So w mm -hmm. what direction then did that kind of push what you wanted to do competitive wise, as mm -hmm. well as on the coaching side? Yes. Well, that's sort of where I was, like, I knew last year that something had to change because riding racehorses was just not sustainable for life. And coaching, I couldn't get enough work, no matter if I kept increasing my certification or advertising. It just, there's just not enough clientele in Canberra for me, unfortunately. So I knew, and that was another reason why I sold my four-star horse was I wanted to move to Melbourne and I needed some funds to move to Melbourne. So I sold two out of four of my horses, which then just set me up to be able to move and not keep riding racehorses. Like I just had a sort of a couple months leeway where I could be comfortable and not panic if I didn't get work straight away down here. So I moved down to my partner, Sam's place. He's also a very talented four-star event rider and he has an awesome support network down here. So that was, yeah, I think that was also quite natural for me to move down here because I could then coach and get away from the racehorses. Like I wasn't necessarily running away from riding racehorses. I just knew that I needed to do something different. And the opportunities down here were a, a lot more than what I had in Canberra. I'm like, where can I go from here? Oh, <laughs> never. That's super, that's super interesting. So let's, like let's chat a little bit about the coaching side of things so now that you're spending the, so much time doing that are there certain things that since you've been down in this area that obviously has you working and coaching a lot more certain common themes that you found have kind of come up in your coaching like things that you're kind of starting to identify a pattern with with kind of where you're going what i'm asking what i'm saying yeah 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 oh, one of the things i was thinking about before joining Ride IQ was like, oh, I'm so young. I don't really have a coaching philosophy as of yet. Like I'm not set in my ways about things. And obviously I'm continually, can I start a word? <laughs> I'm obviously still learning. Everybody is still learning about these animals every day, but especially me because I am so young and I don't have the years of experience behind me. Although I look back and a lot of, a lot of comments I get, which is like obviously feedback through coaching, you get good comments and bad comments, but a trend that I get and I, and I'm very much aware of it is I can be quite direct, like a very, I'm very much a straight shooter. I'll tell you how it is, not in a necessarily mean way, but I'm not going to sugarcoat things crazily. And I look back because I learned so much from Sam Lyle, Prue Barrett and Shane Rose, who are all very direct. Like nothing was sugarcoated with them. And I think that's where I learned best. But yeah, being direct isn't necessarily being mean or awful. You are just telling the rider how it is in a constructive criticism way. You're not telling them they're absolutely amazing and giving them false confidence. You're just trying to help them be the best they can. And I guess people either thrive on that coaching method or they don't come back for another lesson. And I guess I thrived. So I think. Other people will thrive, but not everybody is like that. And Sam actually reminded me when I first moved down here, 
because I get so passionate and so involved in my coaching. And Sam was like, honey, you have to remember, not everybody here is trying to be a five-star event rider and go to the Olympics. And that, like, I was kind of just like, oh yeah. Like pe some people are literally just here to have a great lesson and enjoy their horse. They're not all here to, yeah, get to the top level of the sport, which things like that, I'm still learning and I still have to be aware of that and breaking things down for the more amateur riders and appreciating that things don't happen as automatically and as naturally as it does for me. Like I've got to be, yeah, more aware. And obviously every lesson I teach, I learn something, which is exciting. But yeah, I do see, I see coaching as something that I will do for life. And I am working towards getting my level two certification at the moment to further educate myself and then have the opportunities to coach at state squads or potentially help educate other coaches maybe when I'm a little bit older <laughs> well there's a good I mean there's a good roadmap there I mean you can't again it sounds like you've had a good start up until this point and then yeah like you said we're always learning and there's an evolution in this in this uh career mm -hmm. I guess where you can kind of learn and grow and and figure out kind of what you want to do on the coaching side as well so, yeah. so what would, what in, so fast forward 10 years or maybe even five years, what does that roadmap kind of look like for you? Well, I am, I do. I really want to, I really want to go up the levels with the EA coaching system to be a level three coach educator and be really quite involved in the sport in that way. And obviously I would love to go overseas and represent Australia riding but if that's just not on the cards for me, I'd be more than happy to go over as a coach. And like next year, I, I hope to represent Australia again. There's a under 25 team heading over to New Zealand in March next year, which would very much suit one of my horses. Like, although I am really just enjoying where I am at right now and building my business in Victoria and appreciating everything that has happened to lead me to where I am today. But yeah, I sort of, I look at myself in the future and I see myself coaching and helping Sam run his business. But I also don't, I don't want to give up the riding just yet. Like I'm sitting on two of my own very nice, talented horses. And Sam has kindly just given me one of, well, it's not his, it's owned by somebody else. He's produced this lovely warm blood cross thoroughbred to two star level and handed me the reins. He's just got, too many horses at three and four star level and soon to be five star level that he was like why don't you have this like this is a really nice horse he's really quiet he suits your riding style so like opportunities like that makes me excited because I yeah I don't want to give up the riding to be a coach I still very much want to be involved in the riding side and I also like Sam and I talk about this all the time that because we are so young we need the results at the top level to attract clients. Like why would anybody come and have a lesson with me over someone that has 20 or 30 years more experience? But if they can see that I'm riding at the top level and I'm getting the results at the top level, they'll think, oh, okay, she's sort of got an idea of what she's doing. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Well, it's awesome that you've got somebody there that is kind of bantering those ideas back and forth with you. I know it's super, it's super helpful when you kind of and have that conversation over coffee or over dinner and keep figuring mm. out what the next what the next step is that is awesome
Well, I have some questions that I sent over to you a little bit earlier, and are, I kind of wanted to crack on with those if you're yeah, on the show. Yeah. Awesome. Let me pull these up then so we can dig a little deeper. Uh, all right. What is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? I thought about this one for a while, actually, but I would, I would have to say I'm a naturally highly strong, overthinking, perfectionist type of person. And I struggle to let things go. <laughs> mm. And obviously that's getting better the older I get. But my first four-star horse, he was renowned to take rails. Even when I gave him a spot on ride, he just wasn't careful enough to leave them all up. And occasionally he would give me a clear round, but it wasn't often. And like, I think that taught me that I can't control everything. And it, it took me a while to learn to let it go. But I remember the last few events I did on him, I wasn't so upset after the show dumping. I'd learned to accept that it is what it is and move on because he was giving me the experience at that level. And if I can't nail all three phases now, well, I've got 20 years to keep trying. And I was sitting on some other really quality horses that continually jump clear show dump rounds. So I just had to learn that it wasn't the end of the world if this horse doesn't finish on his dressage score. So yeah, that. Yeah, I guess that taught me to just settle a little bit, <laughs> not get so upset over little things, like just take a step back point of view and take a real look at the opportunity I was getting at the time and not get caught up in the moment of, oh, I just had four rails down. What about yeah. <laughs> in the moment that's that's hard in the moment that yeah. I think any any even veteran of the sport and would take five minutes to kind of let that one go just calm down <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have a favorite training or competition mantra you reference regularly yes from my mother actually she used to and I guess this sort of came back to my four-star horse who wasn't the best show jumper like mom would say as I came out of the ring just own it like it is what it is own own what's just happened be confident like you're meant to be there be accountable and embrace it like don't regret what's just happened just own the situation and I actually now have own it tattooed on my finger as tacky <laughs> as tacky as that may sound I'm not a big tattoo girl but I do have own it tattooed on my finger just to remind me of that because yeah you do you get caught up in the moment and that sort of just brings me back to reality. It's, mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. It kind of has a different confidence about it when you kind of start getting a little anxious or a little yeah. distracted. That kind of pulls you in, doesn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. Neat. Which is so, so, it happens so often in this sport so mm. easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there a piece of advice along the way that you still reference today that someone gave you along the way that you still reference? enjoy the journey like again like I think we focus so much on destinations like stop stop focusing on that and enjoy the day-to-day -day. and like I I love I love the horses and I try not to treat them like pets Sam tells me I treat them like they're my pets <laughs> but I do love them and I love spending time with them and I enjoy that side of it where Sometimes we just get too caught up in the sport and the competition and the fight, the result at the end of the weekend. I think actually just enjoy being there and enjoy having these quality horses underneath me and being able to do it. And yeah, like I saw Sam Lyle on 
Monday and I was talking to him about this Australian team next year and that's my goal and he said well don't put all your eggs in one basket trying to get there like he was like if it doesn't happen you're going to be absolutely shattered and that's it I was all I was thinking about was the end goal not actually what's going to happen between now and that goal and it was like don't change your plans of taking that horse four star and whatnot just trying to get on this team just do what you want to do and yeah enjoy it yeah yeah Mm. it's very good advice what do you do when you are seeking inspiration I never really lack inspiration. I guess I did during COVID just because there was nothing on. I was very isolated and alone. And like, I think that was one of the toughest things uh, as well about living in Canberra in between Shane's and moving down to Victoria, because I was riding every day on my own, like, which was, it's hard because riding around, like when you're riding around all those amazing riders at Shane's, like Shane and Nikki and Rebel Morrow you're inspired because you're watching them ride around you and they're just absolutely amazing. And then you go home and you're just riding around by yourself and it, yeah, it does. You lack inspiration a lot, but I guess I would, I would go back to, okay, I actually just love this horse and I would just go for a hack out and just enjoy the horse rather than trying to train and train and train for a comp that wasn't even coming up. Like I think my horse has had a very easy time during COVID, which now I look back and I'm like, oh, I could have used that time to train, but I just wasn't motivated. So I would just hack them down the road and enjoy them. But now that I'm down in Melbourne and riding with Sam every day on the arena, I haven't had one day where I haven't wanted to get out of bed and ride my horse. Yeah. Which yeah. has been really good. Mm. Yeah. Just yeah, being, yeah, being around people. Yeah. Like, well, I guess if, if I was still at home and lacking inspiration I think I would now ride my horse over to the riding school and ride with the Grand Prix dressage riders across the road or take take the horses up to Sam Lyles and just ride around with him for the day not not sit around and not do anything I guess yeah just I think riding with other people is a big inspiration and I'm sure many people would agree yeah yeah have you had an experience or adversity separate from the horses that you feel has directly influenced you as a horseman? Yes. And I actually wrote about this in a magazine not that long ago. My parents run a catering business mm-hmm. and from a very young age, we were taken along to work with them on the weekends in extremely trying conditions and super long hours. And I think watching my parents just knuckle down and work through that instilled a great work ethic and stamina and drive in myself which is very helpful day in day out being an event rider but yeah watching them just work and work and work and like super super long hours I guess I just got used to that so when I got to Shane's I yes I struggled but I didn't struggle that hard and ever want to give up Mm. knowing and seeing what my parents were capable of I was like okay this is actually isn't that abnormal yeah yeah, hard work hasn't killed anybody. <laughs> well, they're not around to talk about it. <laughs> no, they're not. Has. <laughs> That's so cool. So, so now what's next? So we're looking at at uh, a big event next year, and then growing, still growing your business here in the coaching yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, three weeks ago I had a bit of a stack in the two star at an event 
a local event and unfortunately broke my arm. So I'm at a bit of a standstill at the moment. They, I was very lucky. I had a very good surgeon that has plated it and put six pins in it to piece it all back together that was three weeks ago now but I think I've got another two to three weeks before I can actually get back in the saddle and I'm really hoping to get to Melbourne three-day event in June and my surgeon was funny he yesterday he was like oh yeah you'll be right you'll be definitely right by then and I was like okay but you don't understand that I need to be training sort of six to eight weeks out at least and then he was like, oh, and sort of trying to explain, <laughs> trying to explain to him how I need to use my arm and mm-hmm. my three-star horse, who I really want to get there this year to can around the three-star long is quite strong, but I'm lucky to have Sam. Sam just, Sam's such a freak. He rode in five times and then took him around a three-star FEI event a few weeks ago and nailed it. But Sam agreed. He said, this horse is very strong and you need to, you're going to need to be very fit before you get back on. Yeah, so I am a little bit in limbo at the moment with what I'm doing, but I am seeing a physio tonight who will hopefully give me a bit more of a timeline and achievable goals before I then talk to my high-performance mentor, Sonia, about what what to do for the rest of the year to, yeah, help me, help me try and achieve this goal of getting on the team next year. But yeah, very much one event at a time and one horse at a time, like I'm I can very easily get overwhelmed. So I try not to think into the future too far. <laughs> but Sam, Sam, my partner, is currently preparing for his first five start, which is only three weeks away. So yeah. I'm super excited to watch him do that. And yeah, just keep, um, the good thing is with a broken arm is you can still coach. Yeah. <laughs> you can still do a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, well, awesome. Well, it's been so nice getting to know you and listening to all of these exciting stories. And we so look forward to, to hearing more from you on Ride IQ. And I hope now your new metal enforced arm is going to make you even stronger. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> Coming from someone who has a lot of metal, it you're going to be okay. Uh, yes. I've got a lot of metal in one arm too. And it makes for a really cool. Mm-hmm. It's really great do you, scar. Do you find that it still hurts now? No, where did no. you break your arm? Where is it? Yeah, you'll be fine. The thing with your arms, <laughs> they're, they're, it's, at least it's not like we, we don't operate in a sport where you have to lift your arms over your head. No, <laughs> so, I, so know. I know. Hanging and hinging from the arm. So yeah, it, it, the metal is a, is a good way to go and you'll heal quickly and it'll just be strength yes. and pain tolerance for a little bit, honestly. Yes, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. In for a bumpy road for the next couple months, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, you'll yeah. just be like every other event rider with cool scars and I metal. Know. <laughs> I know, and and I look back and I'm like, I actually am so lucky because I rode racehorse breakers at Shane's for however many years and escaped injury. Like mm-hmm. never once did I have a nasty fall, and even riding at four star level as an inexperienced young rider, I never had a nasty stack. So I was like, okay, I. I shouldn't really complain if this is my first serious injury. I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> Don't listen to that, mothers and uh, dads out there. <laughs> the sport I know. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but we, yeah, you, you are going to end up falling and none of us escape without yeah. some type of no. injury. <laughs> That's the nature that of the sport. It is. It is. But it inspires us to get better every day. Uh well, this is so awesome. awesome. Well, thank you for joining us in the beginning of the day and have fun with the, 
getting on with the rest of the afternoon. Well, I guess even morning. It's probably like yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yep, it is. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sinead. Thank you for having me on. It's been Thank awesome. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon. See you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before you go, I just want to let you know more about Ride IQ. At its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that InStride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including hack chats, conversations with coaches, and more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you during the next episode.